Hello, I'm Phil Smith and welcome to Eurovision in Isolation. The year is 1998. We have the Football World Cup hosted and won by France. We have Google being set up and it's the year in which Titanic won 11 Oscars. Joining me today on this cruise of musical variety. Near, far, it's Alexander Smith. Good evening, Phil. Wherever you are, it's Daniel Irvin. Hello again, Phil. And I know that my heart will go on. It's Minnie Meyer. Hi, Phil. Oh, shit, it's an iceberg. It's Simon Rickenback. Hi, Phil. As I said, the year is 1998 and we are being hosted in Birmingham in the UK after Katrina and the Waves win in 1997 with Love Shine a Light, an iconic Eurovision track. Phil, I was going to ask you a question. So Katrina and the Waves won for the UK. Yes. Is there any nationality criteria? Because Katrina, I understand, is American. She is. No, there's no uh, nationality restrictions. The UK has been represented by Australians, Olivia Newton-John and Americans, Katrina and the Waves. Celine Dion won. She's Canadian, but she represented Switzerland. Short story, if you are happy to represent that country, then you can be their participant. There's no uh, passport check. And as it is this year, the UK's show is being hosted by an Irishman and a Swede, as Terry Wogan and Ulrika Johnson take to the waves for us. We have five songs to cover this year and there are some differences to listen out for because 1998 Eurovision is not the same Eurovision that we know in 2020. But jumping straight in to the action and this is Malta. I think it's the first time that we're covering Malta on the show. This is Chiara who is singing The One That I Love. So that was three-time Eurovision participant Chiara. This was her first appearance, appearing again in 2005 and 2009. Now, somewhere deep down, dark in my Eurovision memory, this, I think, is my very first recollection of Eurovision. From 1998, I don't remember the Terrible Interval Act. I don't remember Dana International. I remember the slightly large Maltese lady in a mauve chiffon dress surrounded by candles singing a big, big power ballad. Somehow that's locked in my memory. I remember Chiara intensely. And so now I come to Simon. Simon, after having reviewed it this week, will you remember Chiara intensely? No, I I don't think I will, Phil. I, I do remember... Malta seemingly every year submitting a lone woman singing a power ballad. Maybe that's just because this woman's been on three times. But to me, I thought it was a pretty forgettable song, to be honest. My main thought was Ruth Badger from the first series of The Apprentice has let herself go. Second um, series. Every episode, we do, I do have to correct you on something. So, yeah, second, second series. series of The Apprentice. Very much a Ruth Badger lookalike. Although I wrote down Angela Purple. 
apart from the fact that the live flames added a sort of imminent sense of potential danger, uh, it wasn't it wasn't really for me this one. Dan, shall I come to you? Sure. Um, she's obviously a very talented singer. I think I imagine that outside of Eurovision, she has a very good career on, in theatre, opera, or, or whatever. I wouldn't count on it, but yeah. No, on. okay, but. I just think that the style that she's going for, it's not very Eurovision. It's uh, Again, this came up a few weeks ago, but it sounds a lot like something you'd hear on a Disney soundtrack. It's it's a nice, peaceful song, but it's not very exciting. I do think this this year in Eurovision is heavily influenced by what's going on musically at the time. My Heart Will Go On, the, the Bill referenced at the start, won the Oscar for Best Song or something. But I think a lot of the songs are influenced by that. There's a lot of lone women singing ballads in the contest not just the songs we're looking at alex any thoughts um i disagree with the view so far i think it's a really nice song as we're going to hear over the next 20 30 minutes or so each country's entrance are so so different to what we expect now this is a singing contest unlike 2017 uh, a couple of weeks ago, which is very much a singing and performing contest. Mm. It's clear that in 1998 it was it was solely focused on the singing, and I think this is a really lovely song. I think it's sung very well. She doesn't miss a beat. Um, it's a really nice love song. There's a few songs tonight that remind me of songs from the Bond franchises, some that could be Bond themes. I think this could be a love theme from Bond. It reminds me a little bit of Patti LaBelle. She did a love song for The Living Daylights, which was a really lovely song at the end, uh, played over the closing credits. It reminds me a little bit of Vanessa Williams. Uh, you go and save the best for last. I think, it's, I think it's a lovely song. The worst part of this performance is the fucking wink at the end of it. That yes, ruins it. Talk about that wink. That's the sort of wink that you do at the end of a high action poppy number, talking about what's between your legs. Don't I think it's more of a like a I've nailed that wink. It's weird. Either way, it's weird. There doesn't seem to be a lot of love in the room for Kiara, so we'll skip straight past any do's pas to savor the ignominy. Nil pas. Any nil pas. Dan, you weren't a fan. Yeah, it's a nil point from me. Just for me, it wasn't very exciting. The staging as well, I thought, was a bit strange, to be honest. The, the candles, I thought, looked like a haunted house. But yeah, for me, there's just not enough there. So nil point. Uh, any other nils? Yeah, it's a nil point from me as well. I thought it was passionless. I, I actually called her a Maltese Vulcan. It's a bit static and a bit bloodless. So this was the first year where we had televoting widespread across Europe so I think of the 25 countries in there I think 22 or 23 used televotes they'd sampled with about six the year before uh, so this is the first year with really widespread um, televoting which we've discussed in the past did lead to maybe more populist songs more uh, songs that caused more of a diverse feeling uh, whereas at the time, they were still in a more of a jury mindset. So potentially songs that were more middle of the road could succeed better, potentially. So that might be the reason why we see a few more middle of the road songs than, than we're maybe used to. So we'll move on to predictions. Bear that in mind. So predictions for this week. There are no semi-finals. Everything has made the final, if you will. 
the positions of the songs that we're covering today, uh, they came third, fourth, seventh, 17th and 25th. That 25th is not only last place, but it is, and in a first for the podcast, a nil point entry. This song did not receive any points whatsoever. This song being the nil point song, not necessarily Kiara. So bearing in mind that we've said that maybe it hasn't aged as well as the other songs that we've listened to. I know we weren't fans, but where did we think it came? I think this did quite well. That's my personal prediction. I think it's a very nice song. This is clearly a singing contest. She's one of the best singers this evening. I would go maybe fourth or seventh. Fourth or seventh. So I asked the rest of the group in my best Brucey impression, we go higher or lower? I don't think you get anything for a pair in this game, but I also think it it will come fourth, I think. We're not fans, but we think high up. Yeah, I just think that it's like the Titanic theme and I can see it doing well for that. Let's hope that people are bigger fans of our next song. It is from Poland and the band is called 16. And the song is called Tutaki Prost. there but i'll hand over to dan for his thoughts as the irish correspondent i feel obliged to point out that this performance is far more irish than it is polish i mean first of all we have sinead o'connor leading leading this band who are singing a cranberry song i believe it's, it's very much like something something that they they came up with in the 90s and during the middle of it uh, one of them breaks out into a fiddle solo i must admit i'm not totally aware of of polish culture but this didn't this didn't stand out to me as being particularly Polish. It seems certainly to be more uh, Irish or Gaelic or something like that. It's pretty of the time, but also at the same time, pretty unexciting, bland and forgettable is what I've noted down here. You, you're very right to say it's quite Irish. Obviously, in the 90s, we're in the in the peak of Irish success at Eurovision. They've won, I think at this stage, they've won four of the last five Eurovision Song Contests. Everyone loves Irish music. It's unsurprising that other countries are trying to bring an Irish flavour to what they're singing. It's got really strong late 90s soft rock vibes. And they sort of remind me of that kind of uh, the Cardigans type co-ed soft rock bands that just seem to be a dime a dozen um, in the late 90s. It's not sung especially well. I didn't enjoy it. It's another song that I, I don't love or hate. I just nothing it. Compared to Malta that we were just listening to, that was a really nice and well sung love song in my view. This has just got, you know, it's it's quite limp, it's quite lacklustre. And I don't, I don't, even though it's 1998, I'm not sure the soft rock is going to win Eurovision. It certainly didn't win me over. Simon, Simon, any thoughts from you? You you quite like a, a Eurovision story. What do you what do you think uh, 16 were singing about here? I must admit that I couldn't resist looking it up. It's about a woman in a relationship and the relationship is not great, but she decides that it's the best that she can get. And that, yeah, that's this song, isn't it? It's it's not great, but it's the best that Poland had to offer. So that's what we've got. 
Minnie, I'll come to you last. Simon's looked up. It's about a tragic love story, I suppose. Is that the vibe you got? The only vibe I really got was you two without the edge. And I mean that in both senses of the word. <laughs> I did give them points for having a guitar, and I gave them points because the drummer was sitting down, which sounds like it should be taken for granted. But a lot of the time in Eurovision, people stand up behind a drum kit and it's quite baffling. He was also wearing a shirt, which is quite a uh, change from most Eurovision drummers as well. On that, though, you know, let's take a moment to reflect on the fact that in 1998, there's not much else going on, particularly in the songs we're listening to today, beyond no. the lead singer. So to have a guitar and a drummer, credit where it's due to Poland, because often in some of the other songs, there's not much else going on. And it's been commented many a time, still to this day, uh, a violin does bring success to Eurovision. It's quoted in Love, Love, Peace, Peace, for goodness sake. So uh, ahead of their time with the violin there as well, I'm sure. Didn't feel like people were loving it, but any 12 points? No. Move on to nil points. Uh, two of them have already gone, but Alex, Simon, any nil points? I'll be giving it my nil points. For me, it's just a bit too vanilla. Fair enough. And predictions? Simon, I'll come to you. I think this will be 17th. I think soft rock's never as popular as it should be. Or soft rock is exactly as popular as it should be. Simon, you said a couple of weeks ago, people don't phone up for their fifth favourite song on the night. This is a perfect example of people going, oh, yeah, quite a good song. But people aren't going to call up and say this is their winner, are they? Yeah, I agree. But it's back in the day, it was a song contest, not an entertainment contest. And this is really... You know, I guess it's struggling with the transition. So lower to middle, is that the general thoughts? I'm going to back this as being on nil point. Um, I think just based on what else is here, I think this is the best bet of being too, too unexciting. Generic. Yeah, too generic, yeah. Fair enough. And it's worth remembering that nil point and last place doesn't necessarily mean the worst song. Eurovision isn't necessarily about getting that ranking correct. It's a competition of getting people to pick up the phone. Moving on, though, we have Ed Cilia from the Netherlands with Hemel en Arde. That was it, silly up. And Alex, what are your thoughts? Cracking song. I've already said a couple of times on this podcast that certain songs they have been influenced by other mainstream singers. Vanessa Williams with Malta, the Cardigans of Poland. This song gives me serious Desiree vibes and their song, You Gotta Be Bad, You Gotta Be Bold, You Gotta Be Wiser. It's got that kind of upbeat, punchy tempo which, again, reminds me a little bit of a Bond theme. You know, a really powerfully sung, upbeat, bouncy number, uh, which could, in this case, be an actual Bond theme rather than a love theme. It reminds me a little bit of the World Is Not Enough Bond theme. Which, again, around the same time, wouldn't it? Around the same time, exactly. Immediately, Edcilia appears, and I'm thinking of Halle Berry in Die Another Day. She's got that confidence, that swagger about, about her. 
I think it's an insult to compare it to Halle Berry and Die Another Day. Everything about that film is absolutely terrible. Uh, And this, I think, is a really, really good catchy number. I did once count up all the redeeming features of Die Another Day. Sat there for the hundred minutes that it lasts and got to seven. Quite high. Quite high. I mean, they're as low as Cuba, quite a good location to film some Bond in. And hovercrafts. I like hovercrafts was one of the other things that I liked about it. Both of those things, I think, occur in the first half an hour. Yep. As does Halle Berry walking out the sea, yep. which I assume was on the list. So all of a sudden you're halfway through your seven and there's still two hours of the film to go. About the song, it's a, it's a really nice song. It's really well sung. Points deducted for the four or five backing dancers who seem to only ever deploy two moves, a kind of arm cross and a kind of two-step shuffle, which is not enormously entertaining or artistic to watch but then again 1998 not much else is going on behind the main lead singer in the other acts it's a really strong effort phil i want to ask about what sounds like the orchestral backing track were songs in 1998 backed by a live orchestra excellent observation skills from detective smith over there yes one of the differences in 1998 from the eurovision that we're used to is that there is an orchestra At every Eurovision up until 1998, and including 1998, there has been an orchestra there that accompany the songs. 1998 is the last year that there is an orchestra. After that, everything is is backed by track. From 1997, songs are allowed to use a track if they preferred, and some of the songs did this year, some of the songs that we're listening to did. But the orchestra is still there and certainly has been used on, uh, on this song. Why, why did they decide to change it? It was a change in the times. It was financial. Orchestras are really expensive. The music was getting poppier. They wanted sounds with synths and guitars rather than oboes and tubers. So it just made sense to move to track. I think this is a really good song. I, I really like what we were just talking about there. I think it makes brilliant use of the orchestra in a way that some of the other songs don't. And I think that really comes through in a really high quality song with a high quality performance. The thing that dates this song the worst is definitely the the backing dancer with gel tips. That is awful, isn't it? He, he's right behind the singer and he's, <laughs> it's, he's it's like he's always there. Uh, and sometimes he's directly behind her, making her look like she's got gel tips. I just can't believe it was ever in fashion. I'm not going to ask what the popular hairdo for, for men in 1998 was because... All I can think of was David Beckham's blonde curtains. Mop. It certainly wasn't this. And like you say, it is quite distracting. But then again, in 1998, people might not have thought a jot about it. Minnie, I don't think we've come to you on the Netherlands yet. Uh, what are you thinking? I liked it. Like Simon said, I think it sounds really great with a live band. And I kind of miss that. Obviously, it doesn't suit every song. Like you said, poppier numbers will go for a more electronic sound. But there's something to be said for having an orchestra. And it works really well here. She's got a great voice, good presence. She nails the key change. Quite a lot of love in the room for Ed Cilia. So um, let's, let's skip over the nil pois. Let's go straight to the do's pois. Who's loving it? It's my favourite song of the night. I give this my Irlanda do's pois. I think it's brilliant. Me too. Fantastic effort. Strong all-round song. Uh, as many flagged in his analysis as well. Really like a song with a nice orchestral uh, backing track as well. Uh, it's brilliant, and it gets my Irlande douce pois. 
so predictions we've had a couple where people erring in the middle is anyone going to go for an extreme on this one this is the top song of the night surely i mean it must be i'm surprised anything beat it let alone that uh, that it's come third of course 1998 will be mostly clearly remembered for dana international with diva so obviously that caused a bit of a stir but uh, the uk actually came second this year so the uk managed to beat this song wherever it's placed that was imani with her song where are you question mark we move swiftly on to the swiss entry again i think it's the first time we're covering a swiss entry on the podcast we have gunvor here and she is singing Las in was Gunvor, another of our winky singers tonight. Uh, so, Simon, you're our Swiss correspondent, so why don't you talk us through this one? As Alex has said, really, a few of the songs tonight sound like Bond themes, and when this one starts, it does have that vibe. I think it's got that sort of the strings and the sort of quiet, smoky female voice. I think it uses the orchestra really well, although admittedly not as well as the, the Netherlands that we just heard. Yeah, it's another one for the pointless backing dancers, really. There's a, there's sort of a, a troop of them in the background, not really doing very much. But the main focal point is this, the woman singing. And when you first see her, I mean, the resolution is not great and you get this wide angle lens and it just looks like she's got her bare breasts out. <laughs> um, when you cut to the close up, you realise actually it's not that. She's just wearing a flesh coloured bra on the outside of her dress mm-hmm. with sort of red dots sort of strategically or unstrategically placed depending on your point of view she's also got a choker choker i hardly know her (laughs) she's clearly gone for a look i mean even like the bottom half of her dress which isn't the flesh-colored bra bit is actually quite see-through um so i wonder if for 1998 if this is actually quite a risque thing to wear at eurovision mini what do you think yeah this is very much Natalie Imbruglia's rejected Bond song, as Simon implied. I don't have much else to add. I watched it after the Netherlands one, obviously, and it just seemed like a worse version. So, yeah, I think it paled in comparison. I thought this song was, again, very middling. And compared to the Netherlands, as many suggested, this is a sort of Division Two lackluster effort, akin and similar to the Netherlands. Again, with the backing dancers... This was the first song where I actually noted down that I did wonder whether or not the backing dancers were people from the crowd who had won a competition to learn a very simple routine and be the backing dancers in the background of Switzerland's entry because they are so poor and offer so little to the wider performance element. I've already flagged, similarly, that Malta ripped off Vanessa Williams, Poland have ripped off the Cardigans, the Netherlands has ripped off Desiree. The beginning of this song sounds seriously like the melody for Seven Seconds Away by, is it Yuzu Endure? Seven seconds away. We will be promoting Alex Sings the Hits at the end of the podcast, available on minidisc and cassette. Can I just chime in and say that I, I really enjoy the fact that this week that is it all the songs but one are in 
their native language, with the exception being Malta, which I'm not really sure what the native language of Malta is. Is it, is it English? So Dan has very perceptibly there picked up on the second difference in 1998 era Eurovision. There was no freedom of language uh, at the time. This was the last year where countries were forced to sing in one of their native languages. So that is why we've got Poland in Polish, we've got uh, Switzerland in, in German, Netherlands in Dutch, uh, and Malta's native language is, is English. But it also leads to an interesting point, because obviously through the 90s, Ireland did exceptionally well, and Ireland could sing in English, of course. And obviously this is an era when UK does a lot better in Eurovision. So do we think the fact that Ireland and the UK could sing in English potentially played a part in how well they were doing and now is potentially playing a part in how poorly they're doing, given that everyone else can sing in English now as well? I think maybe it becomes more of an issue when you've got the televoting. I think for for the juries, I don't think it it will have made that much of a difference. I think they could see through that to the to the talent behind. But I do think there there is something to be said about you know a, so, a song that you can understand the lyrics of adds adds another dimension. You do say that, Simon. But Ireland have won four out of the last five competitions, and I, I think it's fair to say haven't even come close to winning since they changed that rule. The the vignette that plays prior to this song so you know they've got these little scenes from the countries is absolutely terrifying because it's got the actual Loch Ness Monster in it which is made even more scary by the fact that you find out the Loch Ness Monster has actually been made out of toilet rolls on Blue Peter and just after showing the monster it cuts to a terrified woman with what looks like a bloodshot eye and then it zooms in on her eye and the eye is the Swiss flag it is I, I pro- go and watch it. It's very distressing. There has to be something to be said about the fact that this is the UK's most recent attempt at hosting the Eurovision. So the question has to be very briefly asked, how did we do? And I'll answer it myself. Not very well. Our postcards were on a theme of old and new. So we were using popular Britpop songs and classical music with the background music. And they were covering a sort of around the country and various themes of sort of UK things. So there's football and aircrafts and fashion and cars. And But then there's some other weird things like weather and pubs and Wales, the country. I don't know how Wales felt about being a theme in the same way that weather was, but... Uh, Okay. And the Interval Act, I'll cover very briefly. I think they were trying to create a sort of British river dance with a melting pot of different British things, all set to uh, Jupiter by Holst. All I can say is it is a hot, hot mess. You've got a male voice choir, you've got some bagpipes, you've got Vanessa May on the violin and you've got Leslie Garrett operating over the top. It's every bit as awful as I make that sound. Uh, so every time we pour scorn at any interval act at Eurovision, I beg of you, go back and watch the UK's last efforts and say that we did a better job because we didn't. We really did not. 
But anyway, back to Switzerland. Nilpoise? Any nilpoise in the room? Or douzepoise? No? Very middle of the road. I don't know if that bodes well or not. And predictions. So where do we think this comes? Let's go to Dan. Uh, well, I think I kind of agree with, with all my uh, colleagues here. I think this is a middle-of-the-road entry. I think I'll go with seven. In which case, we shall move on to our last song of the night. Now, last song of the night on the podcast is becoming something of a, of a hot spot for a, a controversial song. And it does not get more controversial in 1998 than Germany's entry. This is Guido Horn with Guido hat euch lieb. Oh, Minnie, talk us through this one. This video begins with Terry Wogan saying, watch out for Gildo. And his meaning quickly becomes apparent. This guy will molest you if you're in the audience. And he will do all of your coke. He's dressed as meatloaf on day release, velour cape, turquoise flares, Austin Powers cuffs. He launches into a performance I can only describe as if Kenny Loggins made a musical version of The Princess Bride. He <laughs> cigarettes, he mounts a platform, he plays a bell solo and just generally performs like it's the last three minutes of his life. And by the look of him, it could well be. <laughs> can I just come in and say, he absolutely does not play the bells. There is no chance <laughs> in them bells. I mean, he, he certainly picks up the bells. Yeah, no one can say he doesn't pick them up. Yeah, exactly. One of them he drops. <laughs> yeah, we, we don't hear the feedback from that. But it, it's likely that there is not live sound on the on the bells. But I would like to think that on the backing track, Guido has at least played the bells. It's interesting. This is one of the songs that is on a backing track tonight. But they uh, they did still introduce podcast hero Stefan Raab as the conductor, despite the fact that he's not conducting anything over there. It's a very catchy song. Unfortunately, no, it's not. <laughs> well, it's got something going. It might not be catchy, but it's certainly got something going for it. It's unfortunate that Guido and the rest of the band have just got this horrific dads in their 50s, let's get the band back together vibe to it. They're, they all look at least 10 years past their best in terms of both performing, singing, the aesthetics, how they look and dress. It's really quite disturbing. And for those not following along at home, when Minnie said, watch out for Guido, he will molest you. This happens. This this happens in the performance. He leaves the stage, I think, three times yeah. to go and touch up the crowd. You say um, sort of dads in their 50s vibes. And so Terry makes a joke at the end where he says, uh, if that man doesn't have a heart attack, he's a constant encouragement to all we elderly broadcasters. And I, I was like, oh, yeah, good, good point, Sir Terry. And then I looked it up. In, when he does this, he's 35. Wow. No way this man is 35. That man is 35. Stop that. 1998. What? No. 
<laughs> I mean, he's making me feel a little bit better about my balding and um, and aging. I'm I'm certainly looking at least eight years younger than he is. So uh, that's fine. Dan, let's come to you. Edo, do it for you. <laughs> yes, he does. I, I I love this. I think a lot of it has to do with the start and how it opens. Because at first, you look at this and you see this this homeless man sitting on the stage. He looks like <laughs> Mickey Flanagan's developed a meth addiction and now lives in your local bus stop. And, it, and it's there. And, and we've, we've watched a lot of, you know, relatively middling acts so far. And you're like, okay, where's this going? And then suddenly it all lights up and he's up and he's singing and he's jumping around and it's full of energy. It's fantastic. And I wonder if it took Eurovision a bit by storm uh, because this isn't what the other acts were doing. And this, I imagine, appeals a lot more to the voters at home than it does to the juries. We haven't looked at any other songs like this this evening, and this is as far back as we're going to be going in this podcast series, 1998. Did this light the touch paper for the novelty act? Was this the first? It's hard to say. There's certainly novelty acts that predate him. This song did cause some controversy in, in Germany, when it was selected as the as the entrant in in the national selection, there were some protests in Germany that they were not taking the Eurovision Song Contest seriously enough. This is the same country that sent Genghis Khan as a song with a giant six and a half foot dancing Genghis Khan as their entrant previously. So I don't know quite how they're saying that they were taking it seriously before. Look, there's certainly been novelty acts before. I don't think there's ever been a novelty act quite like Guido before. I don't think there's been an act quite like Guido since. But um, yes, he, he certainly brought a new style to Eurovision. I think that's fair to say. He's probably brought more energy and more crowd interaction. I think that's something new. Does anyone have any idea what he's singing about? That's my question, because the lyrics aren't difficult to decipher. Just to use some of my GCSE German, is is Lieb the verb to like? Not far off. Guido loves you. Guido loves Coke. Guido loves you. That is the that is the name of the song. Guido loves you. That opening sultry bit is Guido loves you. So even if there are tears, he'll come over and sing songs for you. Guido loves you. And he still lives on in popular culture in Germany to this day in a very, very unique way. Anyone want to take any guesses whatsoever as to how Germany still remembers Gildo Horn? Is he uh, under a bridge uh, and he jumps out to scare people? <laughs> Incorrect. Any, any other guesses? Is he their king? No. He also doesn't host the great German Bake Off. Is he on anti-drug campaign adverts? <laughs> no, I'll tell you. There is a lyric in the song, which is, I'll do it in German first. Und von dort schick ich un meiner Liebeswisch, Nussecken und Himberis. Now, I think that comes just before the bell solo. And that translates as, and from there I'd send you the proof of my love, nut slice and raspberry sorbet. That quoted nut slice was, was just finding a little bit of popularity in Germany at the time. It was a sort of new delicacy which then got labeled the gildo horn nussecken and if you go online and search gildo horn 
you're just as likely to find recipes for that nut slice as you are to find references to Gildo the singer. A Gildo horn in Germany, if you asked one in a bakery, they would have something for you. And I do believe he's the only Eurovision act to have a baked good name after him. Apart from, of course, the... You'd, th- you'd think I'd prepared a line for that, wouldn't you? But no, it's just a, a, a yawning silence. Banana bread wood. Lulu. Anyone think of a baked good beginning with L? Leberkuchen is a German traditional Christmas cookie. Ah, oui, the, the Lulu Leberkuchen. Ah, yeah. oui. <laughs> I still can't get over the fact he's 35. Oh, he's only yeah. 57 now. That's insane. Now, it's the last song of the night, and... Simon, you've still got a, a nil point available, so I'm going to have to come to you and ask you which song earlier in the show have you forgotten to assign your nil point to? I'm afraid I haven't forgotten, Phil. It's going to Gildo Horn. Uh, I don't like this song. I think it's possibly the worst song we've heard so far. We were talking about each country bringing their culture to Eurovision, and here they, they brought the grim fairy tales. I mean, I'm shocked and appalled, but thankfully... There are still two people that have yet to assign their douze poids. So for a bit of sanity in my life again, Minnie, tell me why you love this song. I don't watch Eurovision for songs that are a bit like pop songs. I watch it for a yacht rock serial killer catapulting himself off a balcony. It was completely mad. It was just so much more energetic and memorable than anything else we watched. It was my favourite of the night. Lovely. And Dan, I think you still have a... Uh... A, a douze point to assign as well. Yep, and this gets my douze point. I think it's a sign of things to come. I think uh, Eurovision develops more into this kind of a, you know, it's high energy, it's a lot of fun, um, and it's a little bit less about necessarily just having a good song. Although I do think this song is catchy as well. I think it's it's something I was certainly singing about half an hour before we started recording. Um, yeah, so douze point from me. Lovely. And where do we think it's come? Now, I must say, we've had a lot of discussions tonight, and only at one point has anyone mentioned that it could have been the Nil Poisson. Do we think poor, poor Gildo, who loves us all, could possibly have got no votes from Europe? Yeah, I think this is a this is a serious song contest at this point, and this isn't a serious attempt at entering it. I think it's disrespectful, and I think the people of Europe would uh, notice that. I'm prepared to be wrong, but I do think that this... It's potentially one of the first times that we see the vote at home taking taking hold and promoting an act that would not have finished near the top in previous years. To say it would be as high as third feels tough, but I've said a lot of the acts before so far tonight have been lower down, so I have to say I'm putting it third or fourth. So I'll start in the other direction here today. Our third place song, believe it or not, was Malta and Chiara. Fourth place was the Netherlands. I think we're pretty much there. Yeah, people still like that in, in 1998. In seventh place was lovely Gildo. He did uh, have his fans uh, in Spain and in Switzerland and in the Netherlands. He received 12 points. Now, we've got 17th place, but let, let's zoom in on last place. So it's either Poland or Switzerland. The poor, poor nil point of 1998 was Gunvor of Switzerland. Not a single point. So yes, Poland came in in 17th place. So what do we make of that? 
maybe people thought the dress was a bit controversial. In the last episode, Phil, you admitted, and well done for doing so, by the way, you admitted that you voted for Lithuania in 2006. I did. People pick up the phone for really strong all-round numbers. People obviously pick up the phone for the Novelty Acts, as with Germany this year. It just, unfortunately, turns out not, not enough people picked up the phone for Switzerland's quite bland and middling entry. It doesn't deserve to be nil poire, but you can kind of see how it ended up there. Yeah, it almost certainly wasn't the worst song of the night, but it's just how those things tend to work out. Obviously, on the night, it was won by Dana International of Israel. So in 1999, we are off to Jerusalem, but not on this podcast. No, next week, we are off to Malmö in Sweden for the 2013 Eurovision Song Contest, ably hosted by the legendary Petra Mede. So we will cover that next week. But for now, it's goodbye from them. Goodbye. Good night. Goodbye. We'll work on that. And it's goodbye from me. Goodbye. Sorry, Um, I realise I've I've been on mute (laughs) for quite some time. I've said goodnight about four times during those takes. I've had a do-a-do-a-do-a-do-a-do-a-do-a-do-a-do-a-do-a-do-a-do-a-do-a-do-a-do-a-do-a-do-a-do-a-do-a-do-a-do-a-do-a-do-a-do-a-do-a-do-a-